0: Member FDIC. Welcome. This is episode 96 of Enroute, the podcast that is at the intersection of church and Maine. I am Dennis Sanders, your host. Um, this is another solo episode. I, I do actually have some um, actual interviews coming up, but this is one um, something that I've wanted to do for a while um, and just see how it works, um, and I really would like to hear people's opinions if this works or not. Um, and I've seen it done on other podcasts where they do things on, um, kind of narrate, um, different, um, writings. And this is something I wrote maybe about a month or two ago, uh, <clears throat> that I wanted to test out and I may try to test this out with another article. Um, so again, please let me know. My, uh, contact information is in the, um, the show notes, um and drop me a line to see if this works or not. So um, some backstory: this is, um, for the last few years, I've been, well, probably obsessed with um, what has been going on with Kmart and Sears. And you can probably listen to some past episodes of Enroute to know um, this has been kind of an important issue for me. Um, and it stands back to how we view um or how we we kind of deal with things like private equity firms and really the impact that they are making um on american society which is not good now this is not coming from a wild-eyed socialist i'm someone that is very much a capitalist but i am worried how people are making their money um i believe in that capitalism can help, um, bring people out of poverty, but that's only going to work as long as the system is working. And this, what I'm going to describe is kind of a way of showing how it is not working. So, um, I'll go ahead. And as I said, this is an article I wrote. It is, I will put the link to it. It's on medium. Um, and that I wrote it back in, uh, the end of March. The title of it is Bad Stewardship Killed Sears and Kmart. And so uh, let's begin. It's June 21st, 1964 in Columbus, Indiana. J. Irwin Miller, the CEO of Cummins Engine gave a speech at a dedication ceremony for a public golf course in Columbus. Cummins had financed the project and in his speech he explains why it was so important for a company like Cummins to get involved in funding a golf course in a small Indiana city. He says the following, why should an industrial company organized for profit, think it a good and right thing to take $1 million and more of that profit and give it to this community in the form of this golf course and clubhouse. Why instead isn't Cummins the largest taxpayer in the country spending the same energy to get its taxes reduced, the cost of education cut, the cost of city government cut, less money spent on streets and utilities and schools. The answer is that we should like to see this community come to be not one of the cheapest community in America, but the best community of its size in the country. Miller backed those words in, 19, in that 1964 speech with action. Miller connected with some of the world's greatest architects to come to Columbus and build public buildings, such as the local library. Eliel and Aero Sarnian, I.M. Pei, Cesar Pelli were all recruited to build churches, banks, firehouses, and other public buildings. He wanted to invest in Columbus, partially to attract good talent to the community. Miller believed that there was more to life than trying to make a profit or seek a lower tax burden. A business could work for the betterment of society just as much as making money. Milton Friedman didn't agree. Six years after J.R. Miller's speech, the Nobel Prize-winning economist wrote an essay in the New York Times on corporate responsibility. The social responsibility of business is to increase its profits was the title, and it appeared in the New York Times Magazine in September 1970. His essay was a response to those who believed that corporations had some sort of responsibility to society. For Friedman, the only responsibility corporate executives had was to their shareholders, their employers. He says the following, In a free enterprise private property system, a corporate executive is an employee of the owners of the business. He has direct responsibility to his employers that responsibility is to conduct the business in accordance with their desires which generally will be to to make as much money as possible while conforming to the basic rules of the society both those embodied in law and those embodied in ethical custom if the corporate executive is to have any sense of social responsibility Friedman believes it has to be as an individual, not as a business. He continues, as a person, he may may have many other responsibilities that he recognizes or assumes voluntarily to his family, his conscience, his feelings of charity, his church, his clubs, his city, his country. He may feel impelled by these responsibilities to devote part of his income to causes he regards as worthy to refuse to work for particular corporations, even to leave his job, for example, to join his country's armed forces. If we wish, we may refer to some of these responsibilities as social responsibilities. But in these reports, in these respects, he is acting as a principal, not an agent. He is spending his own money or time or energy, not the money of his employers or the time or energy he has contracted to devote to their purposes. If there are social responsibilities, they are social responsibilities of individuals, not business. He ends the essay by saying that social responsibility is, in the long term, socialist. But the doctrine of social responsibility, Friedman says, taken seriously would extend the scope of, political, of the political mechanism to every human activity. It does not differ in philosophy from the most explicitly collective doctrine. It differs only by professing to believe that collectivist ends can be attained without collectivist means. That is why, in my book Capitalism and Freedom, I have called it a fundamentally subversive doctrine in a free society, and have said that in such a society, there is one, and only one, social responsibility of business. To use its resources and engage in activities designed to increase its profits so long as it stays within the rules of the game, which is to say, engages in open and free competition without deception or fraud. Who is right here, Miller or Friedman? Should businesses be only concerned about the bottom line, or should they be concerned about social costs? And how has it played out in real life? Visionaries like Friedman tend to focus on the beauty of their arguments, but they rarely focus on the unintended consequences. This is a human failing. We tend to look only at the upside of our choices and never take into account how things can go awry. When it comes to Sears and Kmart and their former CEO, Eddie Lampert, I don't believe Friedman saw the problem with corporate executives who focus only on making shareholders a good return. What Friedman didn't account is how leaders get focused solely on making a return in any way possible. Over the years, I've written and followed this story. And people have told me over and over again that Sears was already in trouble and possibly because of its actions by other corporate leaders in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I won't argue that mistakes were made in the years before Lampert came on the scene. I won't even argue that it might have, might have had a role in the decline of both retailers. Maybe Sears and Kmart were destined to go out of business. The focus should be on what happened during Lampert's tenure. You can argue that he wasn't the main driver of Sears and Kmart's collapse, but he did have a role. And he was the boss of two firms where he failed to invest in stores, failed to invest in employees, and failed customers. It was under Lampert's purview that Sears and Kmart went from a competitor to an also-ran to nearly defunct. He came in with an agenda to cut costs and increase returns for shareholders, and that is what he did. But you have to wonder if Milton Friedman had this in mind when he called for corporate leaders to focus on good returns for shareholders. A 2019 article in the Left Wing Nation magazine shows that he brought good returns, but they came at a cost. This is what happened to the company through the work of Bruce Miller, a 36-year employee of Sears in New Jersey. And that article says, in 2005, hedge fund ESL Investments Incorporated, owned by Eddie Lampert, took over the company. In the 1990s, Sears struggled to keep up with big-box competitors, Walmart and Kmart, and to compete with online retailers. When Lampert took over, he focused on reducing costs and increasing shareholder returns. Miller immediately noticed a difference that made the quality and service and offerings in the stores. We went from top from the top of retail to the bottom of the barrel, he said. His pay was changed from an hourly rate to commission-based, which meant he and his co-workers started competing with one another. It also meant that when sales declined, as customers fled the dilapidated stores, his income did too. When he started, Miller said, a slow day in his department meant repairing 100 cars. At its peak, 185 daily. But towards the end, We were lucky to get 10 cars a day. Benefits changed as well. The company took away five personal days. Six days disappeared. And and though he had worked a steady schedule Tuesday through Saturday from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., the company started asking him to work at all hours, he said, adding that some days he worked until midnight and then had to be back at 7 the next morning. Lampert sold off prize divisions like Land's End and Craftsman. He stopped updating stores. He bought two chains using the model of private equity. He used a leverage buyout, which left Sears with a lot of debt while he used little of his own capital. And Sears was loaded up with more and more debt to the point that there was little money available to invest in stores or in the employees on paper Lampert did what Friedman said he would do, said he should do. He focused on making a good return for himself and the other shareholders. The result, according to Nation Magazine, was 175,000 employees losing their jobs. The main question here isn't who caused the decline of the two chains. Instead, the main question here should be stewardship. In other words, how do we take care of the things we are given? When I think about stewardship, my thoughts tend to drift to the stewardship of natural resources. And of course, as a pastor, it can go to the stewardship of finances. But stewardship can and should apply to the stewardship of business. How can we use the resources we are given as business, businesses, land, employees? How can we use the resources we are given as businesses wisely? It is by that standard we can judge Lampert. He was trusted with two iconic retailers that employed hundreds of thousands of workers. In 2006, a year before, a year after the merger, Sears Holdings was still very profitable, with shares going for over $132. In fact, things went well until 2012, when they went south, and they never recovered. When it went into bankruptcy in 2018 and before it went private, Sears Holdings' stock price was 37 cents. No, that's not a typo. Lampert didn't see Sears as something that had to be valued and taken care of. He saw it as another venture to make money, which he did at the expense of the company. Because he didn't see his role as a steward, caring for the resource he had, he used it up, cutting here and there, never doing right by the people that really matter, the employees and the customers. Being a steward doesn't mean companies will be successful. Indeed, trying to fail through bankruptcy and liquidation is part of the business cycle. But what happened to Sears wasn't a case of the business cycle acting as normal. This was a result of greed, carelessness, and thinking of no one else but oneself. In scripture, Jesus tells the story of three servants and their principal. Each was given a certain amount of money to take care of while their principal goes away. When the master... the principal returned, he brings his servants to find out what happened. One servant who received the most money doubled his amount, and so did the second servant who received a bit less. The third servant walks in, and you can imagine with a grocery bag of money, he tells the master that he was afraid of him, so he didn't do anything with the money and returns it to him. The principal is engaged, enraged, He banishes the third servant, calling him lazy and worthless. Lampert is the third servant. He was given something, and instead of making something out of it, he did nothing. The only difference is that he hasn't been banished yet. The whole point of these stories and I should add one note here: that this is actually a series of stories, was well, to help people pay attention. Years ago, I had hoped that some buyer, such as Carlos Slim, who owns Sears, Mexico, would read these stories and buy Sears and Kmart. But it's probably too late for anyone to save the two chains from Lambert's ineptitude and greed. As I stated at the beginning of this essay, in the years that follow that I followed the story of Sears and Kmart, there's been one sentiment crossing my screens over and over again, and it goes like this. Sears and Kmart made bad decisions in the 80s or 90s, and that's why they're in the mess that they're in. As statement go, there is some truth to it. Both Sears and Kmart made crucial mistakes in the decades before their 2005 merger, And that did have a role to play in their downfall. But the problem with this statement is that it tends to ignore the sins of the present in order to focus exclusively on the past. Another way of ignoring the present is to say that the market decided against these two chains because they failed to be competitive. Again, there is much truth here, but it misses deeper questions. Was this a normal process of things dying, or was this the an intentional process to kill an entity. As you have seen, the issue is one of stewardship. We began this essay with the tale of two men, J. Orwin Miller and Milton Friedman. Miller believed in investing not just in the company, but in the community he lived in. Friedman believed it wasn't the business of a company to worry about anything other than making making sure the shareholders received a good return. Some writers look at this from a wider lens, but I want to focus on this company. Lampert and Fre followed Friedman's viewpoint. And we see the result. Closed stores and lost jobs. Lampert could have invested in updating the stores. He could have hired talent from other firms, retail firms to improve different parts of the business, improve the supply chain or restart and restart the catalog business with an offline focus to compete against Amazon. None of these actions would have been a safe bet in reviving the brands, but at least early on the the company was in the blank and it could bank black and it could afford to gamble. At the end of the day, Lampert did none of this. Instead, he refer, reverted to a form, reverted to form as hedge fund manager, cutting and cutting some more in order to get more money to shareholders. At the end of the day, everyone, especially corporate executives, are called to be stewards. Lampert ended up in a position of stewardship, and failed. The sad thing is that he will have been a bad steward. And yet, he will walk away unscathed, leaving a trail of destruction. There is something wrong in not facing the consequences of his actions. But on this side of heaven, this is what will happen. My only hope is that while there is no justice in this world, I hope that there is justice in the next, where Lampert will face the music. There needs to be an accounting. that ends this essay bad stewardship killed Sears and Kmart I hope that um, it was um, I hope that you liked it Um, again let me know let me know what was good what needs to be improved if I should never ever do this again and burn the the results let me know Um, and you can send me an email and I would love to hear from you also and I would hope that you would also consider making a donation. Um, any amount is helpful. That allows me to continue to produce um, good results, uh, good episodes, good content here. So what you can donate would be of immense help to me. So that is it for this special episode of EnRoute. The podcast that is at the intersection of church and Maine, where we deal with religion and public affairs. We will be back soon with more um, interviews, but for now, this is Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care, Godspeed, and I will see you soon.